I'm Greg Scott, and this is the Creative Sheep Podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Creative Sheep Podcast, the podcast where we talk to people who are good at what they do to inspire leaders to get better. My name's Jared Hogan. I'm going to be your host today, and I'm joined with my good friend, my best pal, my uh, cohort, Roman Johnson. Hello, it's great to be here. Uh, hey, real quick before we get into the podcast, do you want to tell, we're, we're drinking smoothies right now. We are. Um, do you want to tell everyone what your smoothie is called that you order? I don't know why you just brought this up. <laughs> Uh, there is a smoothie shop here in Tulsa called uh, Tropical Smoothie Cafe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they're they're all over the U.S. and maybe even the world. Um, and <laughs> the one that I order is called Peaches and Silk, which <laughs> as a man to yeah. order that smoothie. <laughs> it's funny every man. time. Yeah, Roman. Yeah, Roman I get a makes, real kick out of it. Yeah. But actually, I tried it today. And so I can I, I can also be held in contempt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, folks, if you would, if you're liking this podcast, if you would, go over to iTunes or Stitcher or really wherever you're listening to this. Leave a review. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. Um, it helps us uh, get get uh, in front of other leaders like yourself. And I love what Craig Groeschel says. Uh, leaders are never selfish. Uh, they always want to help other leaders grow. That's right. And you leaving a review is actually going to help us get in front of other leaders like yourself um, and hopefully help other people grow. So if you're enjoying this, if you would, go over and leave a review wherever you're listening to this. And if you would, share it. Share it on social media. It's real easy, at least on iTunes, to click that little button and click share. Uh, you can throw it over to Twitter, or in, uh, Facebook, or LinkedIn, or really wherever you would like. Um, uh, and maybe uh, let some people know about this podcast. We'd sure appreciate it. That's right. Share the love. Am, and, I, I, am I the first person to ever say that? Share, share the, love? the love? I'm pretty sure you just made that up oh, right there. Okay. Folks, we've got to get to today's shameless plug. Folks, Easter is literally just a few days away. Hopefully, you've got your stuff taken care of. But if not, that's okay, because we've got you covered over at creativesheep.org. That's right. Uh, so maybe you're sitting there and you are been scratching your head over what you're going to do for Easter. It's a big day. It's, it's kind of a big deal. And uh, you maybe want some creative elements. Uh, jump on over to creativesheep.org. We've got a piece called Death to Death. It's brand new this year. We have several pieces uh, for Easter, but this year we released a, we released a brand new one called Death to Death. Uh, and it's, uh, it's got some pretty cool animation. It's got an awesome voiceover. Uh, very cool vibe. The music is spot on. It's, it's a great piece. This one's going to get you fired up, man. This one, I, I, Roman, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of this piece this year. Uh, just the message of what Jesus did for us and that how he put death to death. That's right. But not only did he put death to death, but he brought life to life. That's right. Um, and just the message of this piece is phenomenal, not to mention artistically, uh, musically. It's just an outstanding all-around piece. So go check it out at creativesheep.org. Again, it is called Death to Death, um, along with all the rest of our, our Easter collection. Like Roman said, we've got several other pieces out there. We've got some invite videos out there, uh, maybe for your midweek service. And we've got a few uh, Easter-specific countdowns, things That's to right. kick your service off. We've got one called an interactive countdown, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, uh, it's got some trivia in there. It's got some jokes. It's got some, uh, some things to get people talking with each other. Yep. Uh, it's a whole lot of fun. Yep. It's pretty low-key. Yep. I love it. That one and uh, the Steve the Screen, both of them are interactive countdowns. Great way to create some buzz in your audience before you even set foot on the stage. And folks, that is today's Shameless Plug. Shameless, plug. Shame, shameless, plug. Folks, per the usual, we've got a phenomenal interview for you today. It's an absolute honor for me to bring you this podcast. Um, I had the pleasure of sitting down with my boss, uh, actually, Pastor Greg Scott. Um, to give him a title, uh, he actually holds several. Um, he, uh, he works at Church on the Move in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He is the Global Family Ministries Director for the church, so he oversees everything at all campuses in terms of babies through high school. Uh, he runs the Christian school that we have, Lincoln Christian School. He oversees our summer camp, Dry Gulch USA. He oversees security. Um, he has a very, very full plate. Um, but one of the things he's really been challenging us with lately is uh, is in order to do more, and as you go up in your leadership, you have to coach the coaches. Um, as a coach and, and at the level of leadership that he's at, 
This is one thing he says he does to really exercise his leadership properly is to coach the coaches. And so we're going to get into today's conversation with Pastor Greg Scott. Pastor Greg, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Jerry. I'm glad to be here. It's an honor to be a part of your podcast today. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, uh, for those out there listening that maybe don't know who, who Greg Scott is, give us a little backstory. Where'd you grow up? Uh, how'd you want, I know you're in Tulsa, Oklahoma now. How'd you get here? That kind of thing. Let's start with where you grew up. I grew up in a small town in Kentucky. About 900 people Whoa. lived in my hometown. Uh, I am the middle child of uh, three. I have two older sisters, uh, I mean, an older sister and a younger sister, and phenomenal family life growing up. I had a great home life, and uh, uh, then God moved, I married, and then I moved here to go to Bible school, and and uh, that's basically how I got here Yeah, during some of that time. Yeah. Now, th- there's obviously a lot that happened in between. Um, and from Kentucky, you're, in fact, wearing a University of Kentucky sweatshirt right now. Uh, you're a big Kentucky fan. Yes. Uh, all sports. No. Only, no, only uh, basketball. Okay, I was going to say, their football program's terrible. Yes, that would be an accurate assessment. <laughs> yes, that is correct. <laughs> we only have one thing to glory in, and that's basketball. So that's where I'll stay. So you grew up in a small town in Kentucky. That's even smaller than the town I grew up in. I grew up in a town, small town in Mount Zion, 3,000 people. So we, we would be like a metroplex yes. uh, in comparison to... So what was the name of the town you grew up in? It was Adairville. I'm sorry? Adairville. Adairville? That's what it was called. I, wow. I knew there was an Adair, Oklahoma. I didn't know there was an Adairville, Kentucky. Yes. Uh, so grew up in Adairville, Kentucky. Uh, at what point did you meet Jesus? It's all good. Well, I... I grew up in a church background all my life okay. and had a relationship with Christ, you know, from six years old up. I, I fell away from God in my high school year some, and I truly gave my life to Christ when I was 17 years old. Mm. That was the event that marked, I knew that happened at that time in my life. And that's also when I felt a call to ministry when I was 17. Mm. So they happened back to back. It was very, I knew that I knew this was the moment for me. I needed to do it. Yeah. So. What what spurred that decision to, to come back to Jesus, if you will? I, I had an experience that um, with, I, I had a drinking problem when mm. I was younger. A little, not a lot, but there was an event that occurred that really woke me up to what, who I was. Not just who Christ was, but who am I? Because when I looked at myself, it was not a pretty picture. Mm-hmm. And so that that experience that I had changed a lot for yeah. me. And uh, it, it got rid of a lot of stuff in me. Rebellion against my parents. Attitudes that I had that needed to be dealt with, but I never did. I never dealt with them. Mm. That was the moment. I knew that I knew. Life change had occurred. That yeah. Moment, so. But you grew up, so you grew up in a Christian home oh, yeah. and made the decision to, hey, I'm going to do my own thing. Yes. And then 17 years old, you come back to Jesus. Did it happen at a church event? Was it at home? No, it was at home. Okay. After the event, my, my uh, dad was very upset with me about what had happened. Mm. And he didn't speak to me for two weeks. Oh, wow. No, I was grounded. Uh, they took my car away and it, 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 it merited that kind of discipline. Yeah. He did not, there was no corporal punishment mm-hmm. regarding that. I was 17, but at the same time, his displeasure with me over this and not talking to me for two weeks, it really shook me. Mm. A lot of it I could, I have told people before that I don't know that Jesus delivered me from drinking as much as my father did. <laughs> it was a, it was a really eye opening experience that I had embarrassed my family mm. and it really shook me mm. inside inwardly yeah it made me go inwardly yeah and that's that was the biggest event yeah. i would say that that moved me forward spiritually yeah so come back to jesus and you said at the same time that you accepted jesus or came back into the god's family that it was then you realized you were called to ministry yes um i had there there's no one in my family that's been in ministry there's not, I'm not a preacher's kid. I'm, I'm the first and only minister in my family. Oh, wow. And that, 
I knew. I had a feeling earlier that I was. Mm-hmm. I just never put it together because I my dad was a manager. I mean, he was a business guy. And so, okay, I'm going to follow this. I'm good at this. But I knew that I knew. You're going to have to step away from this and say yes to what I want you to do. Mm-hmm. And so I had... I did that pretty young. I wasn't in ministry, but I answered. I said yes. When he called, I said, okay, yeah, I'll do that. So were you still in high school at the time? Yes. Okay. So uh, graduating high school, were you, I know you had a pretty solid baseball career in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, was your plan, when you accepted Jesus, did you know right then, like, baseball's done? Or was it was the plan still, I'm going to go play baseball in college? No, I had no plan. I, I had the opportunity to play collegiate baseball. I knew after my uh, experience and my conversion to Christ, I knew that I couldn't do it and maintain that. Mm. So I forfeited that. Uh, I did not go. There were people were disappointed in me over that, but I knew in my heart that if I went, I was canceling everything because I was not strong enough. Mm. I, I just knew if I go, I'm going to mess this up. And so I didn't. So I chose to, you know, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna stay here. I'm gonna get a job. I'm gonna let God do what God does. Yeah, and He did that for me. Gotcha. So you graduate high school, get a job. Um, how long did you How long did you work before? I know at one point you then decided I'm gonna move to Tulsa to go to Bible school. Yeah, I graduated high school in 1984. Mm-hmm. I started dating my wife Polly in 1985, mm. and. Um, Things progressed, you know, and we got married, and I didn't, I was not in ministry. I worked in a, in a job, and I volunteered my time with the youth ministry at our church. <laughs> and then in 1980, we got married in 1989, and that's when I took over the youth program itself, not full-time. But in 93 is when we actually went in full-time ministry, full-time. And I've never... That's never stopped except for the two-year period that I was in Bible school here in Tulsa. Gotcha. So not that this matters, but when you and Miss Polly started dating, I was two. Uh, just, just, thank, just to throw that out thank there. Thank you, Jerry. <laughs> I, I appreciate your, uh, the humility that you're, <laughs> you know, you're, you're showing me today. Absolutely. Thank you. That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here for. So, okay, so you, so you meet Polly. Uh, it's now obviously Polly Scott. What, what was the main name at the time? Wilson. Polly Wilson. Uh the love of your life? Absolutely. Um, okay, so you dated, you said you started dating in 85. Mm-hmm. At what point did you get married? We got married in 1980, no, 1989. 1989, okay. So okay. So you get married, and then it, you said it was, wasn't until 93 that you decided to come to Tulsa to go to Bible school. 93, I, got full, I was in full-time ministry. Okay, I'm sorry. I started. I, we moved to Tulsa in 1999. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. And was here for two years. Did you have, were kids prior to coming to Tulsa? Yes. We had Ethan, our, my oldest. Uh, we had him, and then we had Abigail. Okay. And they were both with us when we moved to Tulsa. Mm. Gabriel came. He was born in 03 when, when we were back in Kentucky for a season. Okay. So you moved to Tulsa, go to Bible school for a couple of years, and then you went back to Kentucky. Yes. And same that, church. Okay. I just became the associate pastor, worship leader, janitor, <laughs> or whatever. In a small community like that, that's what you do. The pastor of everything. Yes. And so I did that for two years. Mm. And then I I felt there was a change. Mm. And I got a phone call from Church on the Move, and they asked me to consider being coming and being one of the assistant pastors here in adult ministry, and I said yes. And so I moved here in 2003. Uh, gotcha. And now I, what I think is really cool, you've told me the story before of how you came to know of Pastor George here at Church on the Move is at the time, obviously, John Maxwell uh, was one of the main gurus of leadership at the time. Um, and I don't want to tell the story. I'd like you to tell the story of how you came to find out about Pastor George and kind of fell in love with him. Yeah. Well, I forget. I think it was 1995 when this occurred. And there was a family at our church that wanted me to go hear John Maxwell. Mm. And it was in Tulsa. And I didn't have the money to go. I, we didn't have anything. We, we couldn't, we didn't have discretionary funds to do that. And so they offered to pay my way here, actually drove me here. And this couple was probably 60 something years old. Wow. 
And so they invested that in me, mm-hmm. and they drove me here, paid for all of my meals. I remember exactly the hotel I stayed in. I remember that event probably as much as anything. But I had come to hear John Maxwell. That when I got here and went to the church and heard pastor speak, I thought, that's, that's the guy. There was just an, something knit together that day. I can't explain it. I've never told him much of the story. But John Maxwell was actually the speaker the last night. I left early. I didn't. I knew I had come for what I needed, and I needed a mentor because I had no. There was no one ministry-minded that could stand up, be who they were in my life. My dad was business-wise, but ministry-wise, it was it was not there. Mm. And so uh, that was a crucial point for me. Because I needed a, I needed somebody in ministry, a pastor, to walk me through this. And since that day, it's been he's been probably the vocal point of my leadership style, yeah. type, things like that. So. Yeah. So came to hear John Maxwell, heard Pastor George, and that's all you needed, and you were done. You didn't even stay to hear John Maxwell. No, I, I we drove home. That's I drove home. incredible. Do you do you remember the couple's name that brought you here? Yes, Bill and Ruth Orndorff. Man. Is their name. They're still alive today, still very active. Um, but there's, there's, I don't know what his reward would be. I don't even know where I would be if those people hadn't spent their money and time. Yeah. They, did, they drove me, physically drove me here. How old were you when that happened? Oh, I was in my 20s. So you're a 20 year old, 25 year old. 20 ish, yes. Kept driving here with a 60 year old couple. Yes. Man. And it was just the three of you? No, there was two other guys oh, okay, that had okay. come, but uh, we brought two cars, and I rode back home with one of my best friends, yeah, David Woodall, and I drove back, and we had all our ideas for our youth ministry from Tulsa to Kentucky. We totally changed our youth ministry to oh, the man. to the from the principles and ideas that I heard here. Yeah, so, yeah, that's how that happened. So uh, along the way here, so uh, you you give your life to Jesus at seventeen to this point, and and finding out about Pastor George. How, how were your parents through all of this? Were they supportive of you being in full-time ministry? Yes. My, my mom and dad were, have been probably the biggest anchor of all of this, besides Polly, my wife. Uh, very supportive. I went to my parents when I decided to go to Tulsa. Mm. I went to my mom and my dad and told them what I thought the Lord was leading me to do. And I, I remember sitting in their uh, living room. My dad asked me, he said, if you stay here, where are you going to be in five years? Hmm. Versus if you go, where will you be in five years? Very business-minded, but I needed that because I, you can get too spiritual with things like that. And my mom told me, she said, son, if you don't go, uh, we're going to be disappointed if you don't. Wow. You need to go. Wow. And they sowed me because I'm their only son. And they gave me up. 600 miles difference. And um, they've been nothing but supportive. Wow. That's incredible. Very, very cool. Um, So you're married now, three kids, living in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, When you moved here, you said you got the call from Church on the Move to, to come and interview. When you got hired on here, what did you come here to do? I came here to be one of the assistant pastors, which was over adult care, which would have been counseling, hospital, uh, funerals, weddings, things of that nature. Anything that was adult ministry related, I was part of the team that uh, made that happen. There were three or four other people on staff that I knew at that time. So that's what I came to do, adult ministry. And now you've been here, is it 12 years? Yes. This coming July will be 13. 13 years, okay. So uh, over the course of these 13 years, there's been a little bit that's been added to your job description here. Yes. <laughs> there's a few things that uh, I've had the privilege of helping pastor, you know, uh, take some things off his plate. Sure. You sit smiling across from me that a few things, I'm being facetious in that. So now, 13 years later, you're you're not in the... Uh, um, uh, counseling portion anymore. Uh, now you oversee Lincoln Christian School, which is the church's school, uh, Draggle USA, which is our summer camp, 
you've got security, as well as our kids' ministry and our student ministry. There's a little bit on your plate here. I mean, we're not a small church. We run somewhere in the vein of about 10,000 people a weekend. Um, and you're overseeing all of this, five major areas of the church. Yes. How? <laughs> well, <clears throat> some of it I have to, there's a grace that God gives that you can't learn. There's things that God just gives people. Uh, I've always had, I've been very good at administrative uh things. Um, I had the chance, even at the church that I was in in Kentucky, when no one's else there, when no one is there to do it, you have to do it. Right. So you learn some skills at a small level. And when they translate over, it's, it's really not that difficult. I, I had to learn really quickly what my giftings were, what I was good at, what I was not good at. And to basically try to get people on my team that could, that there might, I hire the the weakness of myself. Yeah. So that I get the right information mm. that, and I give away a lot. I'm I'm pretty good at delegating to other people, and I have people on my team that I trust. That takes time, and I didn't get all of this at one time. It was at one time it was past the pastoral part, and dry gulch. Then it would be Pastoral, Dry Gulch, and Lincoln, and then it would be... So they were added onto one another, not just one lump sum. Yeah, it's been stepped into this thing. Yes. It wasn't we went from adult care to all of this all at once. Yeah, it, it took time to get That's here. too dangerous, and it's very foolish. God really wouldn't promote that way anyway, at least from what I can tell in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so I, it's been a, it's been something that's very humbling, because I don't view myself that way yeah. at all. I, I would much rather be on a team of people that are doing something than me be the, oh, you're the great one or you're the smartest one. I'm really not. I'm just the one that pastor put in charge of it. <laughs> I, I love something you said just a second ago. You said that uh, the things you learned actually at the smaller church in Kentucky, um, you said it's really not that different from from what you're doing today, just in terms of what you're learning. And I even do want to jump back to that. You made the comment that on your way back from the conference in Tulsa, um, the John Maxwell deal, that you and your buddy mapped out the plan for the youth group. Um, and I've heard you talk about this before, of what the youth group was when you got there and then where it was when you left. Let's talk about that for just a little bit. So when you when you came on, it was it 93? Yes. You took over the youth ministry. I know we're kind of jumping back back sure. here. But in 93, you took over the youth ministry. How many How many students were you running at the time, roughly? We had three. Three, th- three, three faithful students. I still know their name today. We, I still have a relationship with those three. Wow, that's incredible. So three students uh, in a community of nine hundred. Yes. And f- okay, so from the time you get back from John Maxwell to in, w- I'm sorry, I, it slipped on my mind. When did you move to Tulsa again? Nineteen ninety nine. Ninety nine. How how much had the youth group grown? We had grown to a, right under a hundred students. Wow. On a weekly basis. Yeah. That would fluctuate depending on the season of the year, yeah. sport events and things like that. But we were consistently running 100 students. Wow. Which our church was running three to 400 at that right. time. And so it was, it's not that hard to do when you love kids. Right. And so that, it was a big deal. You know, I thought I was the biggest thing ever. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're running 100 kids in a town that, that large, but God has ways of, you know, saying, Hey, you're, you're not that big of a, (laughs) (laughs) but that's really cool. I mean, I think, I think the average and and my math could be off on this, but I thought I heard at one time that like, typically speaking, a youth group is about 10% of the church. Mm -hmm. You were 25% of what your church was. You were over 10% of the town that you were in at the time. So you had to have kids coming from other communities in the area. Yes, we did. To this. Yeah, they were coming from, we've had kids that would come 40 miles. Wow. Now, in a rural area, that's that's quite a bit. Most sure. people, they don't like to get out of their, their town. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult for them to do it. Yeah. But it's just, there was nothing there. Mm-hmm. So it's not hard to, it wasn't as difficult to build because yeah. there's nothing for these kids to do. Mm-hmm. And so it was quite an honor. 
to to watch it happen. Yeah. And just to be a part of that. Yeah. And I still go back every Christmas. I go back. Mm. I go back to that church, mm-hmm. and I go back and talk to the pastor that allowed me to do that. Yeah. And I thank him. Man. I actually, for the first time since I've been here, I this May I will go back and speak at that church. How does that How does that feel? It's pretty. I feel honored. Yeah. That they would ask. Yeah. Because I, it's been such a part of me. Yeah. That's where I grew up. I was born, basically there, and spent thirty three years of my life there. So, it's pretty. It's pretty humbling. Yeah. Honoring, that I get to do that. Yeah. It's pretty neat. That's very very cool. Um, so back to Tulsa now, um, living here, running these five departments of a, a very large church. Um, one thing we talk a lot about around here, and I, I have the pleasure of working for you here at Church on the Move. And one thing that you talk to us a lot about are the basics, the basics of leadership. And, and there's a lot of sports analogies that kind of fly around yes. this. Um, and we're going to jump into those here in just a second. But there's a quote that, that hit me last night, actually. I was thinking about this interview um, and Andy Stanley says this, and I don't want to—I don't want to misspeak, but he says it's easier to educate a doer than it is to activate a thinker. It's easier to educate a doer than it is to activate a thinker. I don't—I've never talked to you about this before. This seems like something that you would subscribe to. Yes. Because I, I know you're real big on let's just get the car moving, let's let's do something, and we're going to steer this thing along the way. Has that been kind of a cornerstone of your leadership? Yes. It's it's the only way that I knew how to. There was when I when I began ministry, I had no models. There was not a lot. I could I didn't get out much. We didn't have the money to go out and look at other ministries. I came here that one time. Yeah. And so what you have to do is go. Okay. I just went back to the ideas that my dad taught me when I was a kid, mm-hmm. growing up. Okay, this project's not going to get done if you don't start it. <laughs> Or I would always be thinking about, okay, there's got to be a better way to do this. This is too hard to do it this way. And he would say, hey, just get started. I don't care what idea you come up with to get it done. You've got to start. Mm-hmm. And I always, it's been a, a great model for us or for me in my ministry because it gets things, I can at least get it moving. That way I know what I need to work on, what, what tweaks need to be made. Am I going too fast? Am I going too slow? Just move it. Stop thinking about it so much and just get the basic ideas and start. Mm-hmm. It's helped us here. Yeah. And because most people want to think it, they, they think too much yeah. on it and try to get it perfect, which right. is never going to happen. Right. The culture we live in, there's so much change going on. You can't outthink at the pace that the, the culture is changing. Yeah. So you're better off moving and moving with c- culture. That's good. Um, yeah, that man, I love that so much because there are so many people that they want a perfect plan, then we're going to move. Yeah. It generally never works. Mm-hmm. It's a lot like your finances. Mm-hmm. You've just got to start budgeting. Mm-hmm. You don't know how. You can go take courses. Yeah, you could do that if you want to, but, you know, you're drowning mm-hmm. in financial debt. Something's got to happen here. Most people don't need, in my opinion, this new information. Mm-hmm. They just need to work on the information they know. Right. If they did that, most of their problems, even in leadership, marriage, anything that they're dealing with, would be solved if they would just do what they already know to do. Mm. I think we wait way too much for the new thing coming Mm. that it paralyzes people. And it's sad because there's so much work God wants to get done. He he had a perfect plan, but even when he gave it to his disciples, there was no manual for this. Right. They just went. They did exactly what he told them to do, and they learned along the way. Yep. And that's where we are. To, that's where we are today. Yeah. That was one thing you said. You've said this before. I think you even said it just the other day when you, Sam, and I were at lunch. Is uh, Sam Woods? He's the student pastor here at the church, and the three of us work fairly close together. And you made the comment to us that. Um, it's in the same vein that people are just looking for the new thing, the new leadership book or this new thing that's out there. When in reality, if we would just go back to the Bible, everything's already there. Like all of this stuff stems from scripture. Yes. There's nothing new. No, I, there are ideas that can be retrieved from books. We have a lot of people we read. I read a lot of books, 
But when it gets when it goes when it boils down to it, the only thing that really is going to matter is have we done this in a biblical manner? Mm. That is wise. I think a lot of the books that we're reading they bring more wisdom than they do just strategies. Am I doing this smart? Is this a smart way to build this? I love reading. I I read books other than the Bible just because I want to glean. There's there's constant change that needs to happen and just learning the culture and then but it's all of it goes back to are we doing this in a biblically appropriate manner that would bring honor to Christ and the scripture that he's left us. So I think it's it's very important, especially for me. It's important for me that what we do, I have a biblical basis to grab onto that that I know that God would say, okay, that's a good plan. Yeah. Go work that. Yeah, That's important to me. Because I feel like when I get before him, once this life is over, what is he going to ask me about the book I read? Yeah. Or, well, those decisions really hurt a lot of people. Mm. Eh, it's dangerous. It's really dangerous for me. I want to make sure that that I have what he is giving me has been handled properly, like mm-hmm. he would want to handle it. So yeah. I'm very, very aware of that. Yeah, we had uh, when we originally talked about doing this interview, there was another topic we were contemplating addressing on the show here. Uh, but then I saw a tweet uh, that you sent out that said, "The higher, pardon me, the higher you go in leadership." the more you have to rely on the basics of leadership. Yes. Which I think this actually plays into what we were just talking about in that the Bible is the basics of leadership. It's the fundamentals right there. It's all already been given to us. We're just repackaging these th- these ideas yes. in new ways. Um, and one thing you've hounded us on quite a bit is, is that when Jesus went and, and recruited the disciples, there was no 12-point plan. There was no job description. He simply said, hey, come on, let's go. <laughs> That was it. Right. Um, and so, and, and I think what we can learn from that is actually what we're going to talk about today. And that one of the big things you've been pushing us with lately is in, that, in taking on more and, and being more of a leader and, and owning more of a, an organization or whatever the case may be, is this principle of coaching the coaches. Um, first and foremost, what does that mean in, in terms of, in regards to leadership? Okay. One of the one of the things when you begin to take on more in a ministry that's happened with me here, one of the things you learn when you go up the what is called a leadership ladder, there is you think you're over you are over more, but your focus has to be on less. Mm. And it's it's like the wider I go, the deeper I have to be. And that I have to narrow that because you get burnt out. You wind up in hospitals, you know, and I've experienced that one myself personally mm. because I, I stretch too far without getting my focus narrow enough. And coach the coaches is that's what that is to me. It is I am going to pour myself into a select group of people that can then go pour into their coaches and where my influence expands, but my focus is very narrow. And much like you, I pour into you occasionally, Sam, there's other people, there's about six or eight people that I have decided these are the people that I am going to pour what I have into them so they can go influence the uh, culture here, the community here, and students, kids, because I can't do that. There's only a certain limit to my capacity to do that effectively. And so coaches, coaching the coaches for us is where I'm going to select my, the people I'm coaching. Yeah. I don't coach players. Mm. I stop doing that because it doesn't work. I have to coach the coach. And it, it seems to work because most, most coaches want ownership. Mm-hmm. The more I can give them, the better off we are. Yeah. And with that, the, so coaching the players, these are the essentially the front lines, if you will. Um, <clears throat> with the amount of stuff that you oversee, it would be borderline impossible for you to coach the players just with the sheer volume uh, of, do you know roughly with all the different areas that you have, how many people fall on those teams? 
No, I would. I'm going to be conservative mm-hmm. and probably say two to three hundred okay. people. Now that's volunteers. Everyone. Sure. I mean, you have a whole Lincoln staff, which is a school. Right. Is there's a large number of teachers, coaches there that yep. I have not direct supervision over, but I, I have responsibility of the culture and how we're doing yeah. as a school. And, but that's approximate. There may be more than that, but I certainly don't want to over-exaggerate that. Right. And so, I mean, just logistically speaking, if you were to try to coach two to 300 people, what would happen? Well, well, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> people that try to do that, over time, everybody, I think, goes through a period where they think they can do that. Mm-hmm. And there's times when you have to do that yeah. because you're the only guy there. Yeah. Nobody else is going to do that until you start pointing out people that you are going to lead. Yeah. Because 300 people will drain you. Yeah. They, they demand a pull on you mm-hmm. that emotionally, spiritually, physically, you, myself, it's very difficult to do. Nor should you do it. It's not even biblical to do it. And it just hurts you in the end. There's, you, can't, you can't possibly give those people the attention they need. Mm-hmm. You're actually hurting them more than you're hurting yourself mm-hmm. when you try to go that broad. And so I try to keep it extremely narrow. Coaching players is something that I, I there are people that need to coach players. Mm-hmm. I am not one of those right now in the mm-hmm. phase that I'm in yeah. because it would only hurt the player mm-hmm. if I did that. Yeah. Well, the Bible even describes, and I'm going to botch this verse, but it's something to the effect of there's people that are called to lead tens, hundreds, That's correct. so on and so forth. Um, and at the point of life you're in right now, you, I'm sure you weren't at this place when you were leading the group of a hundred students. No. Um, Although we had at that time, I had 10 youth workers. Wow. So that's one to 10 ratio. And I poured into those people. They poured into the students. Yeah. I have done that for a long time because I, when you mow the yard, clean the toilets, you know, do the youth, do the children, lead the worship in adult environment, kids environment, and student environment Whoa. in a small town, you learn really quick that there are limits to, to your capacity. But my biggest concern for people is their mental capacity. You cannot keep a clear thought life doing it that wide. Mm-hmm. It's, v- it's very difficult to do. Yeah. Most people can't. They yeah. think they can, but they'll find themselves, there will be things that are dropped, mm-hmm. balls that are dropped, mm-hmm. things that get into your ministry or your business that, that you would have never allowed in, but you didn't see it correctly. Yeah. And so it's much more important for me to, to spend my time with you and the other key leaders here so they see what I see. Mm. That way I have more people looking. Yep. And so it's that happened years ago for me to learn to do that. And I've had to, I mean, it's constant. My biggest study habit is probably, other than scripture, is how do I manage myself, how mm. I manage my time. Mm. It's a big deal for me. Yeah. So Yeah. There's so many amazing principles in your story right here. Because going back to that youth group where you said you had 10 youth leaders, um, it's the whole principle of if, if you're faithful with a little, God's going to put your ruler over a lot. Yep. You've proven this. I mean, you're you're 49 years old now, um, and you've you've went from leading three three students, yes sir, three students that you're still in touch with to this day, to getting it to the point where there's 100 students, 10 leaders, and now I would say you're probably overseeing somewhere closer to a thousand uh, leaders here. Um, and that's between staff. I mean, I know on the kids' side alone, we have somewhere in the vein of five to 600 volunteers. Um, and that falls under your umbrella. Yes. Um, not to mention the student side, Lincoln, all of their staff and their volunteers. Um, well, we and, have 950 students and nine, at Lincoln <laughs> alone. So I, I influence them, but it's very yeah. indirect. You're right. Well, I, I, maybe a little more directly. I mean, it is hands-on. Yes. It's not hands-on. It's through people, other people. That's correct. It's through other people. And because even with that, then I know uh, looking at our, so through the month of January, which I know January is a high time for church, but through the month of January, we were, uh, and this last weekend was Super Bowl weekend at the time of this recording. So that weekend doesn't really count. You're always down a little bit there. And it's the first weekend of February. Weekend before that, I think we had somewhere 26 or 2,700 kids, yeah. just kids. 
So that's eighth grade down um, in attendance here, plus the 950 students, plus the, all the staff, all the volunteers. I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands of people mm-hmm. that you're overseeing on a regular basis. But it all started with three. Three. That's true. So and I'm going to actually pause right here for, for just a minute then. As a, as a leader who's been been in the trenches for a while now, how long have you been in full-time ministry? Since 1993. So that it, it is 2016. I'm good at math here. Uh, it's 23 years. Is that accurate? Somewhere, yes. Something like full-time. that. Full-time. 20, full-time ministry for 23 years, and then even a few years of... Volunteer. Kind of the, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, what would you say then to... Because I know for someone like myself, I'm 32 at the time of this recording and constantly just striving, like just want to be better, want to do more, want to do more, which I'm sure you felt. I know you're a very driven person. Mm-hmm. Um, the highest strength on your strength finder is competition. You just yes. want to want to take it and own it and be better than everybody else. Uh, <clears throat> what would you say to a young leader who who's out there right now, maybe in a small church or even in a big church that's listening right now that just says, man, I, I just want to get there. <laughs> what would you say to them? I I would say... This is going to, it is biblical, and it needs to be biblical. He that is faithful in a few things will be made ruler over much. That youth group, I did it with everything I had. I never looked for the next position. I never said, I'm going to be the associate pastor. I'm going to be the pastor. I said, anybody that talks like that, there's somebody in the Bible that talked like that. And his name was Lucifer at that time. (laughs) I'm not going to, I'm going to do what I do with excellence. Not as unto men, I'm going to do it as unto God. And you may be, I know there's hundreds of people in positions where they don't get the support they think they should get from their leader, or they don't like me. Listen, that has nothing to do with leadership. David's brother didn't like him either. And the Bible says... His brother told him, you go, you go uh, take care of those few sheep. It's the best thing that David could have done. He started small, and he was faithful with the stuff that God gave him. Not just faithful, okay. No, I'm going to treat this stuff as if it's mine, although it's not mine. When you get, when you fight the frustration, the only way to fight it is with excellence. Hmm. If, if you try to fight it any other way, you will lose. You'll quit. You'll get burnt out. And most people are, you just, listen, do it as you're doing it under Christ. It's the only way to do it because you're never going to get the pay you deserve. You're never going to get the recognition that you deserve. Uh, Only God can give you that. And you have to be willing to. And here's the other thing. The next level of leadership, the challenges don't change. You still have, I'm a very competitive person, like you said. I'm going to win at everything I do or I'm not going to play the game. (laughs) And But the problem with that, the flaw that I have in me is when, when will you be humble enough to lose? Hmm. Or when will you be able to look at somebody and go, you got me on that one? Because every phase you go in, the challenges are the same. It, it's no different. You're still, if you don't win it when I have three, I'm not going to win it when I have 20 or 100 or what, why, what I deal with now. The best thing for someone in that place to do, probably, Jared, is just sit down and go, okay, who who am I in this for? Is it for me? Or am I here really to bless kids? God will do the influence. He will increase your influence. It's not my job to do that. My job is to take care of what God gave me, which is three kids. Man, that's so, so good. Um, when, when you say excellence, I think this is a word that gets misconstrued in the church world. And what Shannon O'Dell was on the podcast. He talked a lot about this. But for you, if you can sum up excellence in kind of a nutshell, what, is, what does excellence look like to you? Okay. I'm going to do it in, I'm going to do it the way my dad taught me to do this. If you open it, close it. If you broke it, you fix it. Things like that. If you made the mess, you clean it up. That's the basics of excellence. It's looking at something and not doing it. I'm going to do it right. When, when I'm finished, everybody will know I did that. Mm. One way or the other, they will know you did it, whether you did it poorly 
or you did it correctly. They will know. There's always a name that goes along with excellence or lack thereof. My name is always associated with one or the other. Excellence is more about what I've done. How did I do it? Did I do it with class? Did I do it with dignity? Did I do it with humility? How does this feel and look to other people? That's what it is to me. Yeah. One other thing is you point out, um, we're going to jump back here to the coaching, the coaches now. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> there's two things I want to tackle with this. I've heard you say this time and again, is that one of the challenges of leadership is giving stuff away. Um, like you said, anything you do, you're, you want to win. And so I know you're, you're big on recruiting the right people, having the right people on your team to make sure you're going to win. But even beyond that, do you, do you sometimes struggle with giving stuff away even at this point in your life? No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I do because I think any driven person that wants to do anything and advance God's kingdom has that in them. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the ability to figure out and the, have at least some wisdom to go, I can't go anymore. This is as far as I can take this, mm-hmm. doing it like I am doing it. And yeah, would we all like to say if I had it, it would be best? Most people would say that. Mm-hmm. However, if we follow the example of Jesus, he's here for three and a half years doing ministry, and he leaves it into people that are much less capable of doing it than mm-hmm. he is. And he totally just gives it away, mm-hmm. knowing he would have done it better than they did. But he's going to go be in a place that's where he's ultimately supposed to be anyway, yeah. leading from a seated position instructing all these other people what to do. Yeah. Yes, I struggle. Anybody would struggle. Mm-hmm. Moses struggled. Yeah. So Jethro, his father-in-law, said, hey, bro, what you're doing here is really unhealthy for you and these people. Mm-hmm. It didn't take long. Moses, Moses got that very quickly. Mm-hmm. You never see him deal with that again like that. Yeah. And so the biggest key is you have got to have the right people because there's trust with that. I've always been one, I'll give you this, I'll give you small things until I feel like, okay, it's time to go. There's other times when I've done it, like recently, we had an issue here at the ministry or in, on my, our team where I just, I overruled it too far. I, I, I tried to control it and the more I controlled it, the worse it got. So I finally looked at you and Sam said, hey, it's yours. <laughs> uh, and I dropped it. I mean, when I dropped it, I dropped it. I made office changes because of that, because the people need to know. I'm not in charge of that anymore. Mm. You were in charge. So I made a physical move and even made moves in meetings that would make sure that everybody understood there was a change here. Yeah. But is it harder? Yes. It is. Is it more productive that I delegate it? Absolutely. To the right people. And one thing I've heard you talk about before too, is that when you give something away, you have to be comfortable with it being done at 85%. Explain a little bit more what, what that means. Most people, even in, I've done this a long time. I know things that other people, maybe younger than me in their 30s, would not know. I've experienced more things. So there's some of that you're going to, you're going to lose when you hand that off. That's why coach the coaches is so important to me mm-hmm. because I, I want people to learn how I think, not how to do what I do because everybody's going to do it a little differently and they need to have the freedom to do that. I would much rather you or someone on my team learn how I think than learn to do it exactly like I want it done. Uh, I, it's, it's a challenge, but at the same time, it, it, it has to happen for anything to move forward. And 85%, yes. You're going to have to be able to, you're going to have to be happy with it at 80 to 85% when you hand it off because the people don't know what you know. Mm-hmm. And, but you know what? Here's, here's the thing. I think it's surprising, well, amazing, I guess would be another word. I'm 49, and yet I, if I'm not careful, I am not willing to do what somebody allowed me to do at 22 years of age. They let me do it, and there's times I promise you I did it at 50%. <laughs> but now in the church, in the church world, when we're so used to being creative, which I agree with, and we're trying to stay on the cutting edge, if you're not careful, you lose. You won't even give the next generation what you 
were afforded, mm. which is doing something that, oh gosh, you would be embarrassed of today. Yeah. But they did it at that level because that's all they knew. Now look. And so I think 85% yes. They'll get it. Just stay with them. And it's the coach them. Yeah, coach you them have for to coach them. 15%. Yes. You, listen, I have to have coaching the last. I operate probably at 80 or 90, 95% of what I think pastors would want. There's 5% just because of personality mm-hmm. that I don't think or my the generation I was raised in that I don't, I don't think in that vein. Mm-hmm. And so the generation issue is a big problem because we don't think we didn't experience the same things or anything like that. So I have to learn how he thinks in his generation, what caused him to think like that, yeah. how you think mm-hmm. a generation below me, mm-hmm. so I can manage these two things and get 100%. I don't think that's going to happen. Mm. Uh, why would we need Christ? Why would we need God? Why would he need his grace if we thought, okay, we got this, we're good. Right. But the, the gap is what I want to fill. Mm. What is the gap and what needs to be filled there? So. That's good. I even heard you say in a meeting the other day of in this, when you hand something off, you have to be okay, maybe even to the point of letting them fail. Yes. Is that easy for you to do as a leader? No. <laughs> I, I would. The only thing I would caution with that is you, you make sure when you delegate that you're not delegating something that will, that's going to cause the whole ministry to go down. Mm-hmm. That cannot happen. Right. A classroom environment, things like that. The safety of the classroom is very important for us. I cannot delegate that to someone I would not, that I felt like could fail. Yep. There's other things that I would give away. Okay, if, he, if they mess this up some, we're, we're not too far off mm-hmm. the ground. So a video, uh, yeah. uh, hosting a game, yes. uh, running a room, that kind of stuff where trust but verify, that kind of thing. But Absolutely. Ultimately, we've got to be okay. Look, you're not going to do this the same way I do it, and I have to be okay with that. Yes. I just... I wouldn't put them over ministry environments mm. that are crucial yep. or over a room yeah. too young. They don't know everything or anything like that. It's just too important that I, I just make sure that when, if they're going to fail, I want them to fail as close to the ground as they possibly can mm. and on the softest environment they can possibly. Yeah. Grass, I, when I learned to ride a bike, guess what? You do it in the grass. Mm-hmm. That way when you fall, okay, at least it's dirt. Yeah. Not on the concrete and not on the gravel. Yeah. That you wouldn't do that with your own kids. Yep. I'm not going to do it with what God's entrusted me. I would not do that. But you do have to be willing to it not to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yep. then coach out of that. Yep. So most people, honestly, they most people don't learn until they're either put under pressure or they made a mistake. Mm. You just have to be able to guide that. It can't be loose. You have to give them enough rope where they don't hurt themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing you said just a minute ago is you said, I'm not, I don't want to train them to do it the way that I would do it. I want to train them how to think. Um, and I've heard you even say, re- even recently, you've actually probably said this. I think I've worked under you now for 18 months or so, something like that. And <clears throat> you kind of said all along, leadership can become such a... Uh, just white noise. It's used, it's overused, the term leader, leadership. And so it's, I don't want to train you to be a leader. I want to train you how to think. Yes. I want, I want you to think like I think. I want you to see the things that I see. What, how, how do you go about doing that? Like as a young leader, how do I do that for the people that are answering to me? How do I show them this is how I think? Yeah. One, one of the things that I, I've had to learn is through raising my kids. I, I ask my kids lots of questions. I, I stopped making statements because I can make a lot of statements and then you find out you're wrong. And then your kids, they look at you like, dad, you were wrong. Are you going to apologize? (laughs) Yes, I am. I was wrong. And I have done that numerous times, but I've always allowed my kids. I have one rule in my home, a big rule in my house growing up is you can say anything you want to, to me, as long as you're nice. Mm. And here's why that helps me because as a leader, as a dad, as a boss, the questions that I ask, I want to know what the person is thinking. You can correct a behavior, but you're too far. They're, they've already acted out or done something that maybe, maybe you didn't want them to do or 
they, the system that they put in is not really good. What you want to do is ask questions so you can you learn how they think. If you'll ask questions, they will say what they're thinking, as long as you don't jump down their throat for thinking wrong. Because all I want to do is if I ask the right questions, I will get the answer I want. And then I can coach them once I get that, what are you thinking? I want to know what you're thinking. And that's what I do with my kids. That way I can, I can kill the rebellion in my kid mm. before they act out because I know what they're thinking. Mm. But most parents, most bosses won't let their kids say what they want to say. There's no candor. There's no honesty. And parents act like or bosses act like they know everything when everybody knows they don't. Mm-hmm. We don't. And that's the whole, must have been my whole point. I want to know what my kids say. I want to know what you think. Mm-hmm. I want to know what my other direct reports, what are you thinking? Mm-hmm. And if I am the only one making statements, we get nowhere. That way, when if you come to me, Jared, and said, hey, uh, this is going on, and I start asking you questions, I start to figure out how you think. Mm-hmm. Then I start telling you, hey, no, nah, you might want to take it this way. Then you learn how I think. Mm-hmm. And so it's a two-way street. I, I want to know what you're thinking, and you need to know what I'm thinking. Yeah. That way, we can come up with a really good answer that is wise, it's going to work, or that we can critique as it moves forward. Yeah. Man, that's so good. Uh, this, is a, this is a principle I can verify that you have carried over, not just from home, but at work. You and I, just the two of us, have had some very honest conversations behind closed doors um, and I, I respect the fact that you allow me to do that. Um, I've worked for lots of people in the past who were the boss you described just a minute ago. They've got all the answers. I don't know anything. Yes. Um, and we do it just the way they want it done. And, and I, I hope I do it in a respectful way, but it's, you've allowed us to have some very, very honest conversations. Yes. I think recently you completely disagree with me about something. It may have happened. And that's happened before, but there's a place in my world for you to say that to me. And I've always told you guys, I want you to tell me the truth. Mm. I want to know. Yeah. I'm not a closed book. I don't have all the answers, but I want to know what you're thinking. Yeah. Because if I don't, all that happens is when that doesn't happen, there's resentment, there's bitterness, and people that you want on your team that are type A that can get stuff done, they will leave your business. Mm. They will leave your church. They will want to transfer departments. Because they know you don't mean what you said. Yep. You you feigned it. You you say it because it's a great leadership principle. Mm. But in reality, that is hard to do. To sit there and go. And I, how many times have I told you you're right? I'm sorry. Uh, more than once. I have done Way that numerous times. Yeah. And I've listen. I learned that from my wife. I have learned that you're you're right, baby. <laughs> I apologize. So, <laughs> it's it's I, that's why I want to be on a team. I don't like being isolated because I think yep. it, it creates this idea that you by yourself are good enough to run it all, mm-hmm. and we're not. Right. And through that, I mean, there, the culture up here has, has shifted, and we have a culture of very open. I mean, this is, this is translated down big time. Um, we have interns that are brutally honest and will say what they want to say. Yep. Um, they'll say what they're thinking. They'll tell us if they think we're wrong. And I like that. I I like I'm I'm fine with people there being a little bit of a fight. I like people that are willing yeah. to stand up for what they believe in. Um, well, but it all our, started with you. Well, yes, some of that started even with the, the with George, the guy that I directly report to. Some of that is mm-hmm. he's cultivated that and yep. allowed us to do that. And so to that, we owe some much of that credit to Wit. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you have to as a leader, you have to adjust to that because it's not always easy to do. Yeah especially when people younger than you are saying, hey, I don't agree with that. Yeah. And the worst thing is you have to explain why you made the decision you did and you get halfway through it and you realize it's a, it was terrible. And these kids, they have something to say. Yeah. They may not always be right, but nor am I. Yeah. And just the ability to go, okay, you're right. I'm sorry. It helps because it, it lets my kids, the kids that we work with here, our staff, mm-hmm. know I mean what I say. Yep. I love you enough. You can say whatever you want to do to me. Yeah. Because I don't want to be the I don't want to be the guy that's running around here with the dunce hat on mm-hmm. and nobody's willing to tell me. Yep. And so, it's important. If you can't, I'll say this: if you as a leader cannot handle criticism of your idea, 
you have the wrong idea. Hmm. Maybe even shouldn't be in leadership. Well, it's going to hurt you yeah. because anybody good yeah. that has a voice that really wants to push things forward, they're going to go work for somebody else yeah. because the frustration level will be so high, especially with millennials. The frustration level will be so high they won't they won't bother you much yep. because they want to they want to talk. You you don't have to do their idea. Yeah, but you can't shut them off. Yeah, because it's, honestly, I don't know if it's a millennial thing. I'm a Gen X guy. Yeah, but at the same time, I didn't want that done to me either. Yeah, I think there's something in us that that even God created. Hey, push back on this. Say this because what would have happened if Adam and Eve had to push back against one another? There was no pushback. They just fell for it. Both of them went headlong into what we now are experiencing as the fall. What if Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, what if one of them would have stood up and said, no, I'm not going to, that's, no, we're not going to do that. Hmm. The results would be different because, okay, I'm going to challenge this. And so it's so much better to have more voices in it than yours because I have a very limited perspective of any idea I have. Yeah, yeah. And you just, you touched on something right there that is, is vital and we don't have enough time to get into this today, but just the, the getting into the generational stuff right there and the millennials, um, we'll have to talk about this another time, but there is an incredible podcast, Carrie Newhoff's podcast with, is it Hayden Shaw or Hayden Smith? Hayden Shaw. Hayden Shaw. Um, he's got a phenomenal book as well called Generational IQ. Um, but the podcast and the book alike, go check both of these out. They're phenomenal. Absolutely. Um, and, and I, I want to, I kind of want to end on this question right here, more of a statement and you, you, you kind of grazed over this earlier in that, uh, uh, so Jesus was here for three and a half years, poured into these 12 guys, and then went, and then you go, I, you even said this yesterday, earlier this week when we were at lunch, that he did his greatest work from a seated position. And there's a, re- and I've heard you say this multiple times, but there's a reason why um, it's his greatest work. And the part that always stands out to me is that he's seated doing his greatest work. Why is this such a big deal? And especially in terms of leadership to point out that Jesus is seated doing his greatest work. Yeah. I think the biggest point is when you're seated, you're done. Mm. I've done all I've, I've done everything I know to do and it's time for me to rest. And I give direction to the rest of the body of Christ from my, this position. He's in a position of authority now. Not so much when he was here, although he did have authority here. Mm-hmm. His ultimate goal, God's ultimate goal, was for him to sit down where he's seated. Give away to 12 guys, oh goodness, one of which betrayed him, mm-hmm. completely betrayed him. So one out of 12, us being betrayed by one out of 12 shouldn't be that big of a deal to right. us. So everything that he went through for the three and a half years that he actually did ministry here, three years or so, it helps us as leaders figure out this is a big, the church is a big organization that he has to run. It's the church is not American. Mm. <laughs> Amen. The church, the church is global. So there's cultures everywhere that he's working all the different cultures and, and calling people to this one and this one and directing their steps all over the globe from a seated position. His influence is greater now than it was when he was with 12 people. Mm. So I have to be able to remove myself from it. I think it's important too to realize that he didn't make this move without sacrifice. There's something that had to, he had to give up something. He had to die. There was a death that happened in my ministry. When I, when you go up, something has to go away. Mm. You'll never get there. If you want to hang on to all of it, you can, but it will never grow to what it needs to because you won't sacrifice. You won't give it up. Give it to people that you though, I don't know if these guys are going to make it or not because Peter was, wow. There was doctors in there. I mean, there was tax collectors, just people that people hated. Mm-hmm. And he picks them. says, okay, I'm going to leave this with you and look what we have. And the truth is, if he hadn't done what he did and give it to people that he thought could do it 85%, there is no global church like we know it today. It's the greatest leadership move he ever made. Man, that is really good. 
Uh, let's let's end on this. If you if you could just kind of a takeaway thought here for anyone out there listening, just kind of a final thought. What what would you say to any leader out there, um, whether coaching the coaches or just any other thought that you want to throw our way? Two things. I think you have to learn to manage yourself. If you can't do that, you're not going to manage anybody else. Uh, I think health, you need to be healthy. Spiritually, emotionally. Emotionally is a big one. And physically. You need to make sure you take care of yourself. Uh, there's never worth, it's never, there's nothing worth doing that's going to kill you in any one of those three areas. It's, it create, there's no longevity to it at all. And I would be very aware of what I'm spending my time on, who I'm giving my time to. Because whoever you give your time to, that's what you're going to, you will spend, it takes away from who you really need to spend your time with. You, that needs to be very, very prominent in somebody's life. And then the last thing I would say is you need to find, I don't care if it's one person on your team. You say, well, I have no one. Yes, you do. There's somebody. Now, they may be the goofiest person on your team, and they may be the only thing you have, but it's worth setting them down and say, hey, I want to lean on you. I need you to take out the trash for me. Something like that. Give them something to do that can take something off of your plate. Coach somebody. Because if you don't, all you're going to have is players. And all you're going to do is coach players. And you'll never really grow as a leader until that happens. It's really good stuff. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to go about it? You can email me at greg at churchonthemove.com. That's my email address here at the church. You can find me on Twitter and uh, or Facebook, either one. I'm on there, so uh, you're more than welcome to give me a shout-out and phone calls, whatever we need. We can, we can do that. It's no big deal. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Pastor Greg. Thanks for having me, Jared. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening today. We really appreciate you stopping by and checking out the show. Uh, and if you would, once again, subscribe, share it, leave a review, and stop on over to creativesheep.org. Jared, in this fast-paced world of communication, I mean, we've got phones, we've got, we can text, yep. we've got email, uh-huh. electronic mail, yes. um, regular mail. But there's one thing that people are using these days to stay connected now more than ever. Go on. And it's called social media. Oh. Yeah, there's sites like Facebook, hmm. Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, Insta- it's all on the phone. And on the phone, you can do it, use it with the phone or you can use it on the apps. So Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Here's one thing about that. We are on these sites. As, uh, our username is creative underscore sheep. Little at symbol in front of it. And you can find us, and uh, we'd love to connect with you. Yeah. We'd love to answer any questions you have. Yeah. If you want to ask us, uh, you know, our favorite food or favorite color, you can do that too. And who knows, if you do ask one of those questions, you might make it on the show in our one question segment. That's right. So feel free to drop us a line there. Um, And folks, we really appreciate you listening. Thank you so much, and we will see you on the next episode. Farewell.